Welcome to the SDR Disco Call podcast, a podcast designed for brand new sales development reps in the world of software as a service. Every Tuesday, we're going to be bringing you a new guest who's still in the role to share how or why they've gone into sales development, what have they learned in their SDR career and journey to date, and what three pieces of information would they like to share back to new and existing reps to help them become happy sellers. Every show is transcribed, recorded with links from the guests, which are available at happyselling.io forward slash podcast. I'm going to be your host, Neil Buyan, and I look forward to taking you into the world of sales development through the SDR Disco Call podcast. So with that in mind, let's begin. So hello listeners and watchers, welcome to another episode today. Um, I'm really happy to have this guest on board. It's somebody that I was prospecting uh, a few months ago and they're based out in the US and happy to say we had a great chat a few weeks back and they agreed to be on the show. So I'd like to introduce Miguel Diaz. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great, Neil. Thanks for having me today. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, And I know it's super early uh, on your side of the world, but for the listeners and watchers out there that don't know who does do not know who you are today, Miguel, like who are you? Where are you based in the world? And currently, what do you do? And who do you work for? Yep. Um, So my name is Miguel Diaz. I'm from California. I'm working at Crunchbase right now as an account representative. Um, Kind of our form of SDR two. But happy to be here today. Perfect. Thank you so much. And again, for the listeners and watchers that are perhaps not familiar with Crunchbase, it's something at all and a solution and a business that I've been using for years. But what does Crunchbase do and kind of what made you want to kind of hop on board with them? Yeah, great question. Uh, So Crunchbase, if you're not familiar, it's a database for people to do research on private companies and the investors behind them. Um, A lot of salespeople like to go to Crunchbase as well as investors. Love it. Thank you so much. And yeah, I remember coming across Crunchbase many years ago when I was an SDR and it would always give me that intel if, you know, a company received funding, what they were going to use of the funding for, if people approved of their CEO and leadership team and kind of all the good, interesting stats way before we had a whole bunch of tools. But yeah, Crunchbase was one of my main resources. And when I saw that they had a sales development team, that's what drew me to your profile. I was like, aha, okay, so I'd like to know who this person is. But um, if we like, uh, for the watchers out there, uh, if you're not watching this episode, you can catch this on Happy Selling's YouTube channel, so just head over. Uh, But what we can also see is your LinkedIn profile, Miguel. So when I came across your LinkedIn, obviously I wanted to see kind of what was your background, what was your journey, and it was quite an interesting one, one that I hadn't come across uh, before, but what we can see is obviously you had your area of studying, which was around sports management. Um, you had a career within tennis uh, and a quite a sportive career at that with some cool pieces. Um, you went into logistics for a part point. Um, you ended up at Enterprise Rent-A-Car. Uh, you're part a member of Rev Genius, And then obviously you came into Crunchbase back in September 2020. So for the listeners and watchers out there, Miguel, could you kind of like us walk us through your story of like, how did you go from studying sports management to, you know, ending up as a sales development rep at Crunchbase? So, yeah, so um, graduated from University of Pacific in 2017 with a degree in sports management. But after I graduated, I, um, I guess it's important to say I played uh, Division One tennis while I was there. And I was at a point where I was 
I felt confident enough that I wanted to play professionally after I graduated. So um, after I uh, after I graduated, I did just that. Played for about a year. I was able to get a professional ranking. Um, after I figured that I didn't want to, you know, have a full time travel and practice schedule, mm-hmm. you know, I, I I didn't really want to go the route of working in like a pro franchise like the Golden State Warriors or the Oakland A's or whichever. So mm-hmm. that's how I found my career. Uh, in sales, ultimately. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, it was great because a lot of the attributes I, I learned as an athlete transferred over into sales, you know, the discipline, the time management, you know, the the dedicated practice, all that, all that kind of good stuff um, mm-hmm. translated really well into sales. So I was at Enterprise Rent-A-Car for a couple of years. And then after the pandemic, found myself at Crunchbase. Um, but it was a blessing in disguise after the pandemic hit because, you know, I have a really great team behind me at Crunchbase. Definitely love that. So as as I've said to guests in the past, that is a cool story, bro. And like when you said like being working as an athlete um, and that helped give you a good grounding into things such as time management and discipline, what kind of things like were you going through as an athlete to, you know, instill these sort of values into you? Like what sort of training and what sort of exercises were you doing? Yeah. Um, so it kind of started when I was in, uh, when I was at school, um, we had a very like regimented schedule where, you know, we'd wake up at 6am for weight training. Then I'd have classes in the middle of the day. Uh, then I'd have lunch, then practice for three hours in the afternoon, study hall for two hours after that. And then once I graduated and I had my own, you know, my own schedule to manage and, you know, I didn't have, you know, a coach or an assistant coach behind me pushing me to do all this stuff. I had to be really mm-hmm. regimented as well with the way that I structured my days and weeks. So what I would do is typically I would schedule one practice in the morning, um, either a practice with one of my friends or like, you know, a coaching lesson so I can make some extra money. Then a workout like mid-morning, get some food in, and then potentially a second practice in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was really detailed with the way I did it. So like I used to have a journal that I'd write all of the things that I wanted to accomplish in each of the, uh, tasks that I did. So I'd write all my workouts out or all the drills that I want to do, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And now I do something a little bit similar with, you know, being an SDR, structuring out my day, writing down like my, my highest priority tasks and mm-hmm. kind of going about it that way. I love that. I absolutely love that. So Early mornings, like with with training, um, and obviously like going in for studying as well, doing extra pieces there. I love I loved and heard that you were journaling things, also to like you know hit your goals and your accomplishments as well. And like you said, this kind of relates to structuring your day as an SDR. So, what would you say to somebody that you know they're coming straight into this SDR role? And time management is a big piece that we've spoken about on the show before. But if you're feeling a bit lost or you don't really know where to start, what advice would you give that person to help kind of get their calendar under rain? Some great advice that I got, um, or at least when I started, you know, we had a calendar already pre-canned with like the tasks that you should be doing each day or each time. Mm. But for me, structuring my day really was around like when was I... uh, I guess how how would I structure it best to fit my needs? So I, I typically am a I work really well in the morning, so I do a lot of my more difficult tasks, cold calling, emailing, prospecting mm-hmm. in the morning, and then afternoons would be more admin type of work. Um, but I'd say for general advice, just figure out what 
like when you operate the best and structure your schedule around that. And then if you have, you know, important things that you want to get done, you know, really actually block out time in your calendar to do that. Because mm. if you don't and you kind of flip between each task, you're not going to get anything done. Yeah, I agree. And I love that, like you're figuring out like your optimum time that suits you best. Like when some people are morning people, some people are like afternoon, some people are also night owls. Um, And trying to, you know, like where you're saying you're most productive and getting the hard stuff out of the way. And I think uh, Brian Tracy, who's like an old school sales trainer, he has this saying of like, eat your frogs. Those are the first things that you want to do in the morning and get out of the way so that you can enjoy the rest of the day with other tasks as well. And somebody who's had like an athletic career, um, like working out in the morning, does that help with your productivity? And like, how, how does like doing early stuff in the morning like help you set you up for your day, Miguel? Um, so I'd say doing stuff in the morning, like, I guess I could just walk you through how, how I'd like to structure my day. So, Please do. you know, just like today, I typically start around 7am, um, we're doing more of a hybrid type of role now at uh, at Crunchbase, where I'm doing both half, like half outbound, half inbound. So um, typically, I'd structure it at 7 a.m. to 8, like about 7 a.m. to like 8 or 9 a.m. would be just a big call block. So 7 to 8 would typically be like my Europe and uh, like East Coast call block, and then 8 mm-hmm. to 9 would be you know West Coast or just U.S. in general because it's more convenient of a time, um, and you know sets the tone for the day if you're able to book book some meetings right in the morning right so then mm-hmm. that's that's probably why i do that and then after that i do most of my admin work or if i have any meetings already pre-set up for the week then you know i, I kind of work that into my early mornings and i then, love that yeah so and um that that was another interesting piece so if i heard right um you're calling in like into the east coast but you're also calling into europe is that right and what's that experience like talking to a European audience and then like talking to a North American uh, audience? Like what differences and things have you picked up working in those two different regions? Um, I guess there's not really a ton of difference. Uh, so once you open up the call, you'll kind of get a sense of how the call is going to go after how they greet you. So mm-hmm. um, if they're like, who is this right away? You know, it's not going to be it's going to be in more of an uphill battle. Whereas if they're like, like, how are you doing? You know, mm-hmm. they ask me back. Yeah. Then it's different. But yeah, I wouldn't say there's anything generally different. I would say that like, if you're calling people in the afternoon, they may or may not be in a good mood depending on like <laughs> the time of the week. But I would say like the most success I've ever had was always calling on like Tuesdays or Thursdays for some reason. I'm not sure like mm-hmm. any reasons why. But maybe they're just be- better mood that day. It's so, like I, I used to call on Mondays, like you know, start my days off seven a.m. Start calling them. Yeah, and then like, then never worked out. So now I just do a lot more admin work on Mondays. You focus on more of my inbound calls. But yeah, no, no, like crazy different like things from people in Europe to people in the U.S. Just different accents for sure. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it's, that's an interesting piece here because I think with a lot of SDRs, we're always trying to find that optimal time to call. Um, and as you say, you've kind of like figured out that Tuesdays and Thursdays fit you best in order to connect with your prospects. And I think that's an interesting point here because a lot of the time I've had SDRs that have said they've tried to call on a Monday 
um, and it hasn't been successful. And equally myself, I tend not to take calls or meetings, but I now do podcast recording on Mondays um, because I've got a lot of stuff. I've come back from my weekend. I'm catching up with emails and work and trying to figure out, okay, how am I going to strategize my work? And I'm not really into the rhythm of work yet because it's still in catch-up mode. And it's normally by the Tuesday that, you know, I'm a bit more relaxed. I know what's coming up, so I'm more open to taking a meeting and a call. Uh, and I think equally on a Thursday, perhaps why it's working better for you is because Friday, that's when people are like starting to switch off and get ready for another weekend. But what I have found um, is Friday mornings or perhaps Friday late afternoons, that's when you can get through to most decision makers yeah. because the gatekeepers or other people have either gone home and they may take that call. Like there are a lot of people that will catch me on my mobile towards okay. the end of the night because I'm like, um, oh, it, it's probably somebody else, you know, somebody catching up from work. And then I find out, hey, somebody's prospecting me and I actually will actually want to listen to it to see how they go into it. So yeah, it's finding that rhythm um, as well. So the other piece I wanted to know is, so as you said, like last year, like the pandemic hit. So you've obviously had this sporting career. Um, you've looked into other fields and you came across Enterprise Rent-A-Car. What was the story there? Like what kind of got you in with there and kind of how did that pan out? Um, <clears throat> so I found Enterprise Rent-A-Car. I was, after I finished my tennis career, I was kind of just finding any sales job. But what I really looked for was something that had a pretty like competitive environment so I can still maintain that that competitive like competitiveness that i had when i was playing tennis mm -hmm. uh, as well as like a, a solid training program so something that um enterprise is really well known for is their management training program kind of getting you ready for uh running your own branch location and pretty much it did just that taught mm -hmm. me a lot of like the ins and outs for sales customer service management you know people management um and then just general knowledge about how to run a business so a lot of it was uh a lot of it was like trying to increase your revenue while also driving down your expenses things that you can control um but the way i came about it i just you know did the the normal stuff went on linkedin went on indeed went on all of the different job posting websites tried to find a place that had a decent enough like starting salary but like room for you to grow within the position mm. so that's kind of how i found myself uh there um when i was there i was there for about a little over two years but i had a lot of jumps while i was there so um mm -hmm. uh, i started off as a management trainee just like everyone else in the program and then uh, after about six or seven months i passed there's like a qualification interview where you have to um meet with you know three or four of the area managers in your region and pass you know all of the questioning that they have about all of the different types or parts of the business from there you can start getting promoted into new positions start taking on a management position at a, a branch location and about a week later i became an assistant manager at one of the local branches in my area yeah i was promoted three times in a year so each time going into like a larger branch location um consistently a top performer like as a entry level and through my management career because you're still measured on a matrix every month um mm. just a different matrix for who you're competing with and after about a year and some change i became a branch manager nice which you know I was really fast, you know, mm. and that's what a lot of like 
my colleagues would say about my career at Enterprise. Like I just kept <laughs> getting promoted. Yeah. Um, but then pandemic hit. Uh, travel industry was hit really, really hard. So a lot of the yeah. branches in my area closed down and a lot of the employees uh, were laid off. But blessing in disguise because now, you know, six months after I uh, was laid off, I was able to find a SDR role and it fits my personality really well. And I love the flexibility of, you know, how everything with the job is. I love that. So it sounds like when you was at um, Enterprise Rent-A-Car, like you went through a lot of like unique skills, like you said, learning to run your own franchise, like the, the, the commercial side of it, how to structure it out. You were also promoted quite quickly as he was going through there, like literally racing through, excuse the pun. Um, and like, uh, I think with all those little pieces, like these are the interpersonal skills that we can take into other SDR roles and help us out when we're going there. And I was just curious to know, like, now that you've gone into this SDR role, what with those skills, how have they helped you to become like a better SDR and like in terms of when you're looking to grow and, you know, keep moving through the ranks at Crunchbase? So I would say that like some of the things that I took from enterprise to my career at Crunchbase um, was the idea of like mentorship. So when I was at enterprise, I, I did I did a lot to help the employees that were under me as well as the employees that were also in my area to help, you know, level up their game. Cause if our area is doing well, then, you know, it looks good on everybody. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's a very team effort. Similar to Crunchbase. Um, I, you know, I leaned a lot on my SDR manager and my team lead to help get me to where I am today, along with like, you know, just general research on LinkedIn and just following a lot of, you know, sales leaders and listening to podcasts like, like yours. Um, and then sharing whatever I learn with, uh, my peers, but I'd say also just some things that I really took from my career at enterprise was just understanding the importance of like the little things in a group setting. So being the one to participate in, uh, you know, team meetings, you know, with our, CRO and like our all the AEs as well and how like everything matters when you do participate and try to add value because Mm -hmm. I think that was one thing that um kind of set me apart so when I started I made it a point to always like put in my two cents as long as it added a little bit of value to what we were talking about um and it just kind of builds your personal brand within within an organization. That's something that like was really big when I was working at Enterprise because it's a ten thousand employee place. And yeah. you know when we'd have these huge like uh, regional trainings with you know fifty sixty people, our our uh, senior managers that would manage you directly would make sure that you're like you know you're dressed on point. You are participating in all of the you know, the meetings that you're in so that like if you're ever to try to apply for a position outside of your area and yeah. they like, you know, the hiring person, the area manager there, they've seen you, how you act and like some of your thoughts in meetings, then they'll be more, you know, willing to hire you because they know like what you're all about rather than mm-hmm. if you're quiet, you're a silent killer, you, you try to let your numbers just speak for themselves. It's great. Mm-hmm. It'll get you to the door, but then they don't really know your personality. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, so again, like the, the skill sets that you learn at Enterprise that are now relatable into Crunchbase. And as you say, like um, the way that you present yourself, the way that you see things as a team effort, leaning on your SDR manager, your team lead to help you out. 
Um, and then with the other pieces of, you know, your personal branding internally, that's not something that I've really spoken about much with guests. Um, so, like, with personal branding, I love it, like where you said, where you're trying to give your two cents into every meeting. Uh, again, you may be a numbers person where you let the numbers and the work do the talking for you, but that's an interesting piece that unless you're, you know, speaking up a bit in team discussions, etc., then you may not get noticed as well. Um so what would you say to somebody like, you know, they've just started out this job, it's their first tech job, they're a bit worried that what may come out of their mouth might not be the right thing or they're embarrassed or they're too, you know, scared to give their two cents. What what advice would you give them, Miguel? Mm. I'd say if like the place that you're working at is in an environment that is like welcoming to you talking, even if you're like the most junior person there, you know, that's that's something that should be concerning, you know, especially mm. like... Uh, I would say my advice would just be to not really like think about what other people think about you, you know, cause it's going to, you're going to be more comfortable after, mm. after, you know, participating and it's just going to get, keep getting harder if you just kind of stay in the position and you don't speak up. And then you have three, four months now down the road. Now it's like, you can't speak up because you've never done it before. It's going to be even more mm. uncomfortable. So mm. it's kind of like cold calling, you know? really uncomfortable the first time you cold call especially if you don't even understand what you're like you're selling yeah but you know after a hundred calls you're going to be much more confident and i think that like same thing goes with just participating in meetings or just having that confidence to to put your two cents in so you have to you know your self-worth's not tied to what you say right and yeah they're people too yeah a hundred percent and i think there's always that initial fear of, like you say, going on a call or like speaking up within a meeting. But the more you do it, the more you push yourself just that little bit more, the more comfortable you become with it. I think um, last Friday I joined like a sales leadership Zoom meeting that was based with sales leaders all over the world. And to be honest, I don't normally join these things because um, I'm more interested in SDR events. Um, and I'm not focused on the A or closing piece where a lot of these sales leadership events are focused on. And there was about 30 people in the room from the States, from the US, from Europe, from all over the world. And I felt really scared to speak up. And the topic they were talking about was um, how do we get salespeople to be more customer centric and stop like focusing so much on closing the deal and trying to make like shit tons of money, etc. And everybody was like giving their two cents. And every time I just kept hearing something, I was like, you're moving away from the core piece because they were looking at comp plans they were looking at sdr or sorry sales leadership as to what the message they should be saying and all of this and i sat there and i got really annoyed a little bit so i towards the end of the meeting i just spoke up and i said well if you want to do an initiative to figure out okay how can we get salespeople to be stop focusing on just you know the closing element why don't we just speak to them why don't we do a survey why don't we you know kick off a meeting with them do an introductory call to figure out this is kind of what we want to do to help salespeople but we'd love to get your input on it and everybody went silent in the room and they looked at me. I was like, uh. and after the meeting, people were saying, yeah, we really believe in that. We like that. And then I had people messaging me on LinkedIn saying, Neil, it was really great to get your input. We'd love to see you at the next event. And I was like, oh, really? <laughs> and it's that initial, that fear of like speaking up because, yeah, I may talk a load of rubbish or trash that comes out of my mouth. But again, just getting your two cents heard and just pushing yourself when you're feeling a bit feared, nothing wrong with it. And, you know, it could actually go the other way and be a good thing, right? Um, 
But obviously for yourself, like coming from a different industry and then going into tech sales, that must have been a change as well. What was your like onboarding experience and what was your introduction to like tech when, when you came into Crunchbase, Miguel? Yeah, um, great question. Uh, I actually had a really great onboarding experience. So um, I'm the first hire that's fully remote because of the pandemic. So I actually haven't met mm. anyone on my team just yet. Um, <gasps> All right. Um, but... You know, when I started, even before, like after I had signed my paper, you know, I got, uh, you know, emails to my personal email from like people on the team just saying congrats on the new role, excited to have me. Um, my first two months I was ramping. Mm. First month was just like learning all of the different uh, applications that we use, like our tech stack, Salesforce, mm. all of the, you know, that good stuff. Yeah. Uh, and then also just learning more about the product, how to how to pitch it properly. Um, my second month, then I, that was more like me cold calling, kind of getting into the mix. Um, but you know, our enablement manager, she had a really good course for you know brand new SDRs, completely new to the SDR role. And then I just did mm. all the modules within uh, WorkRamp. Um, a lot of it contained like me having to record myself doing pitches to different scenarios, which was pretty mm-hmm. helpful. Um, I'm the type of person that likes to be a little bit more comfortable before kind of jumping in and getting thrown into the wolves. So like I've seen <laughs> other posts on LinkedIn where people are like, you know, they should be cold calling two, three days after they start. And I'm like, nah, that totally would have been like the worst thing I could have done. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like, how I started um, and one really great piece of advice that I got was just to watch gong calls every day. So mm. just rewatch like top performers, how they pitched the products, the common objections um, during, you know, intro calls and discovery calls. Uh, that was super helpful. And that was, you know, my first two months at Crunchbase, just listening to calls from all the other reps and then doing my work ramp modules. And then I love it. Aside from that, just like, uh, you know, practicing and practicing and practicing my pitch and all of the other stuff that was important. I love it. So introduction to tech, um, you have your enable manager, you have like courses and modules to kind of get you up to speed. You're learning all about your tools Um, You're listening to calls on Gong as to how other reps are doing this role. Um, And I really like that element of like recording yourself in certain scenarios, again, which was really helpful. If you don't mind me asking, what sort of scenarios were you challenging yourself to record against? Um, It would just be a lot of the common objections we would get. Um, So like record yourself, uh, like objection handling to someone saying that they use PitchBook or... Mm. Um, asking about where we get our data from, things like that, or you know, like why, like why would you want to use our API versus like uh, just the web platform, mm-hmm. things like that. And then um, it was helpful because then I'd just be able to watch myself <laughs> kind of stumble upon it. Um, yeah. And then the more times that I'd practice it, if I had to re-record, it would just get a little bit easier each time. And that's probably what helped me the most is just kind of getting comfortable with saying the words, even if I didn't fully understand it. 
Yeah. I love I love that because I think um, when I'm training SDRs and if we come into like objection handling or, you know, how to respond to certain things that are discussed on a cold call or a discovery call, <clears throat> I actually, uh, the analogy I use is like a tennis match, you know, like the prospect will serve over perhaps the objection and all we want to do as an SDR is just like hit that ball straight back. But I think you want to kind of think about the strategy as to how you're going to hit that, how you're going to serve it back to them. And you want to have a, like a nice flow in a conversation so it's not just like whacking it every time the objection hits us it's skillfully like responding back but perhaps if you watched like a video of you playing a tennis match to see okay where did you go wrong and you know how to perfect it next time round. again it's coaching it's consistency so I really do like the idea of trying different scenarios replaying back and hearing yourself and then being able to confidently take on uh, you know the next serve to to the prospect so that's a really cool tip thank you for that Miguel and the other piece that I wanted to understand was, so when we met a few weeks back, uh, your role said sales development rep at Crunchbase, and then it said account representative. And you advised at the beginning of the call that this is something that's like a new hybrid approach. Could you kind of walk us through, like, what does it mean to go from SDR and account representative and kind of what you're testing out with Crunchbase at the moment? Yeah, um, happy to talk about it. Um, so, yeah, last time we talked, I was still... Um, an SDR, but our team is trying something out a little bit new, just kind of helping prepare us to get into that account executive role so that we have some closing experience before getting into a full closing role with a full closing quota. Mm. So uh, I'm still doing a lot of the same things that a regular SDR would do. And I'd like to classify account rep almost as like SDR2. Mm. So I still have my same quota as an SDR, but I also have some goals for closing smaller tier deals. And the way that they're doing it for me is that we are, it's kind of like a ladder approach. So each month I have uh, a couple goals with, for closing smaller tier deals because we have a self-serve model where mm-hmm. you, people can buy Crunchbase just directly from the website. Yeah. And um, my role is like if there are teams that are smaller than 10, then, you know, I can try my hand at just, you know, demoing, following up to help them purchase online. But they purchase it essentially themselves. They don't have to go through like procurement or all that kind of good stuff. But mm. I'm also just going to be learning more negotiation tactics, things that are going to help prepare me for that next step in my career, which ultimately I want to be uh, an account executive and kind of come into that role. But um, really interesting how how it panned out because I didn't even know that was even up for promotion or anything, and I was just mm. focused, hyper focused on just hitting my numbers and just you know being the best SDR I could be. And uh, come beginning of Q two because we do promotions about twice a year. Um, you. you know they they put me up for the pr- promotion just because of my consistency hitting my like my KPIs, uh, and. Um, they felt confident that I was able to kind of go into this role regardless of me being fairly new to the company. Mm-hmm. I love that. And <clears throat> again, your personal branding, you're making a great impression. And again, congratulations on the promotion. And I really do like this idea of, um, you know, I've seen in other companies where they'll go an SDR, they become maybe an inside sales rep, or like you said, like an account representative where you're not doing a full 
end-to-end on the enterprise deals, but you're able to work on some more smaller deals with a couple of users to go through the ropes and learning of, you know, trying to win a deal, the commercials, the procurement, giving the demos. These are all great assets to then help you, you know, step into that account exec role more successfully. Because I think what I've seen as a former SDR manager, a lot of the times reps will come in and saying, right, I want to do this SDR piece for maybe six to eight months, um, then I just want to go straight into the account exec role, or I've been here for 12 months, mm-hmm. I'm now ready to you know, be an AE. And I think the scariest thing that can happen, because it happened to me, was when you're given that full quota of an account exec, that's a hell of a lot of responsibility, and there are some things that you haven't learned. Um, because being an SDR, you're building relationships, you're booking your meetings, you're qualifying prospects, but it's those, you know, giving. how do you give a value-based demo rather than just showing the features and benefits of it? How do you speak to the procurement team to make sure that you're all checked out and you're compliant? Um, and also stakeholder management, because sometimes we think we're speaking to the decision maker and they're going to sign off that contract, but then midway through the deal, they say, it's, yeah, so we just kind of got to bypass this through our CFO and make sure they're okay with it. I was like, oh, do I have to sell to somebody else now? And it's all those little things that I messed up on because I didn't know, but having the ability to try it out. And if you've got great mentors and people that have done it, that will help you successfully go into that role. But um, with somebody of your caliber, that's, you know, you've moved up the, through the ranks in certain positions before, are you putting yourself a timeline on this or kind of like when do you foresee you taking onto that account exec role? Um, I have a soft timeline for it. You know, I don't want to like, if, like, let's say if I don't get it in the amount of time that I allotted for it, because I think I gave myself till like Q1 next year. That was my goal. You know, when I started, mm-hmm. I was like, if I do everything right, things pan out, potentially be account executive by that time next year. If I don't, mm-hmm. it's not going to be the end of the world. And I know the opportunity is still going to be there as long as I, you know, just focus on what I could control. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that would be, I guess, my my soft timeline for it. Uh, just because you know, I love the SDR role. I think it's fun. Um, yeah, you know the <laughs> like the nature of the job is pretty pretty fun if you can if you're if you're seeing some success. So um, and then you know, especially with the account executive role, it's like the grass is greener sometimes on the other side. But mm-hmm. you don't really know what you don't know. Like some of the t- stuff you were talking about, stakeholders, like you know, later stage in the funnel is just, it's just completely new to me. Whereas mm-hmm. now it's just like straight up, straight up building relationships, trying to get attention, you yeah. know, booking meetings, all that good stuff. <laughs> definitely. Yeah, definitely. And this, 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 the, the, like those pieces there, the, those are the things that I'm passionate about because to your point, I had a hell of a lot of fun doing it. And I think when I went into the AU role, I lost elements of that part of being an SDR uh, and that's kind of why I got bored because I found it very transactional. And I think the mindset that I used to have, which isn't the case now, was I thought, right, as long as I can demo and show all the great things that this platform can do, they're going to buy in. And what I realized in later life is, okay, so if you imagine the demo is here, everything outside of it is building a relationship. It's constantly selling. It's talking to different people, different departments to keep them like on a conveyor belt to becoming a recurring customer. So what I had to realize and zoom out for a minute is like maybe selling or what I thought was selling, which is just doing demos, is probably what, 30 minutes, an hour at most of like a 12-month relationship with that customer. So I think the advice that I give to SEOs and to yourself is if there are any meetings like kickoff calls, renewal calls, or you know upsell calls, or perhaps 
doing technical demos or joining like a, a procurement meeting or a commercial discussion, join in on those in the next few months and come to these meetings with notepads and pens and like anything that doesn't make sense to you or you've never heard before, ask those questions to you like your enablement team, to your account executive and that's what's going to build up your knowledge so that when you, you know, where you have the opportunity to try out these smaller deals, you can experiment by asking some certain questions in those sales cycles that you're going to be doing and yeah, just have a hell of a lot of fun with it because I think it's the whole thing of fail fast, make your mistakes as you can now so that when you go into that role, which I feel confident that you'll be in there by Q1, if not earlier, uh, next year, just have fun with it, dude. Um, but I'm really looking forward to, to watching you grow and see how things pan out at Crunchbase. But as we're coming towards the end of the show, and you've been a great guest today, Miguel, what three bits of advice would you give to a younger version of yourself who's just about to embark on this sales development journey? Yeah. Um, so bits of advice that I'd give, I'd say... Number one thing, you know, practice your pitch and common objections like you would flashcards for school. Um, so that's something mm. that I also did when I was ramping. Just consistently practicing your pitch helps so much, especially when you get into a moment where, like, you're nervous, you feel a little tongue-tied. You can go back to that. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, focusing on what you can control. I think I mentioned it a little bit earlier but just kind of detaching from the outcome of all the tasks that you're doing. So when you're making a cold call, you know, your, your self-worth isn't attached to booking that meeting, right? And just focus on like yep. what you can control during that call. Um, and third piece of advice, just, you know, be consistent with all of your, all of the things that you do. So you don't want to spend four hours prospecting one day and then not prospect for two weeks. You know, mm. 30 minutes to an hour should be more than enough time, especially once you get comfortable with how to do it. Mm. Um, as well as cold calling, cold calling, all the, all the good stuff, personalizing emails, video messaging. If you're pretty consistent about it, you're going to consistently get better at it. It's going to become easier over time. Couldn't agree more, sir. So I love that. So constantly practicing your pitch like a, a flashcard style to get, you know, like what are we talking about? What are we trying to convey to people that we're speaking onto the phone? Letting go of the outcome. Uh, like you said, your net worth isn't just based on you booking or not booking that meeting. It's just enjoy, experience that, that cold call or that email. And, you know, I think with SDRs, what I say is like you don't have to be the best at all of those topics that an SDR does, but get the general grounding. Uh, and then to your last point, the way that we can become better is by being consistent and showing up on that. And I think that's a really good point because I used to be a really bad SDR where I would do some outbound campaigns on LinkedIn. I'd book a ton of meetings and then the following weeks I wouldn't do it. And then I'd find myself trying to find new avenues and trying other stuff out. And I was very sporadic and all over the place. But to your point, if you put it in your diary, commit to doing that, stick to it, see those results. And then, you know, it's not about perfection, it's about progress. So I think those are some solid bits of advice, Miguel. Thank you. And do you have any shout outs that you'd like to give out on the show today? Yeah, yeah, I would. So um, shout outs to my mom, my family, um, my girlfriend for always supporting me. And then on my team at Crunchbase, Anthony and Will. Ben and Natalie and everyone on the on the sales team been, you know, super helpful in getting me to where I am today. And I know that they're going to always support me through the rest of my career. 
Supercell salute to the family and crew and all the guys and girls out at Crunchbase. Thank you so much for Miguel. And Miguel, if there are any SDRs that are listening in uh, and they perhaps want to connect with you, maybe they're interested to learn more about Crunchbase or, you know, maybe offer you a game of tennis if you're up for it, what's the best way to get in touch with you, sir? Yeah, just send me a connection request. I pretty much accept everybody. Um, and then if you hear me on the show, send me a personalized note. Just say you heard me on the, the Disco podcast. And, you know, you, you learned something from this, hopefully. Then I'll, I'll for sure accept. Definitely. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. Well, Miguel, I wish you all the best success in the coming months. Um, I'm looking forward to you actually meeting your team in reality uh, and getting to check everybody out. And again, thank you for being such a great guest on the show. Uh, and all I can say is I wish you the best and happy selling, Miguel. Thanks again, Neil. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the SDR Disco Call podcast today. We would like to get this message out to more and more sales development reps, so please like, comment, and share in your local podcast provider. If you don't want to miss a show, you can always send a blank email to SDR Disco Call, one word, at bcast, which is B-C-A-S-T dot email, and you'll be added to our mailing list. We're also on the lookout for new guests, so if you work in the world of sales development as an SDR, BDR, MDR, or ADR, and feel that you have an important message or story to share, feel free to email us at podcast at happyselling.io, and we'd love to have you on board.